Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Byteclear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Byteclear aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Hello, friends. Welcome back to the Bill Press Pod, and welcome to the war zone known as Washington, D.C. Remember when we used to complain about gridlock? Well, no longer. Gridlock meant that at least Congress was trying to get something done, they just couldn't agree on how to do so. Today, it's a whole lot worse. Congress doesn't even try to get anything done. They just sit around doing nothing, don't even attempt to do anything to address the major problems facing this country. Instead, spend all of their time in silly, ugly, purely personal and political partisan attacks All of it, of course, led and encouraged by that ugly partisan in the White House. Even veteran Congress watchers like Norm Ornstein say that they've never seen the Congress more divided or less productive than it is today. And Ornstein blames it not on both parties, but on the obstructive, destructive, and constant warfare waged by congressional Republicans. I sat down with Norm Ornstein in his office at the American Enterprise Institute. Norm, it's good to see you. Thanks for joining us. Oh, what a delight to be with you, Bill. Thank you. So you have been a uh, Congress watcher here in Washington for a long time. You and Thomas Mann wrote this great book. It's even worse than it looks. You and I have talked about the book before. Um, As bad as it was then, have you ever seen it as bad as it is today? I have not seen anything like this, and that long time is 50 years now that I've been immersed in this process. So we did It's Even Worse Than It Looks in 2012. Uh, We followed with a paperback, It's Even Worse Than It Was, two years later. Uh, Somebody said, what's the next one? I said, it will probably be Run For Your Lives. (laughs) Um, But of course, those were before Trump. And it's important to emphasize that the rot in the system The rot uh, of the Republican Party uh, began before Trump. The cultural divisions that we have, uh, the fact that, you know, we emphasized in this book that polarization is a reality, but it's not the real issue. You can solve problems if you're polarized, but it has become tribalism. And a lot of people don't like the term, but I can't find a better one. If you're polarized, you can say, those people on the other side of the aisle, they have terrible ideas, but they're honorable people. We all know what the problems are. Let's see if we can find ways to work together to solve them. Tribal is, they're evil, they're the enemy, they're trying to destroy our way of life. The tribalism, I would argue, began with Newt Gingrich, deliberate tribalism to try and accomplish his goal of uh, getting a Republican majority. It was reinforced with the end of the fairness doctrine. And, you know, I have to say, given what was happening with mass media, it wouldn't have been able to last anyhow. But 
Once that happened and you could get uh, national talk radio and what became tribal media and then social media that have amplified all of this dysfunction, exacerbated by the uh, financial crisis and the populism that emerged uh, with the uh, bailout, the Troubled Assets Relief Program, all of that set the stage for Trump. But what Trump has done is to move us away from every principle of uh, our constitutional system, our democracy, the Republican form of democracy, and and created a kleptocracy where uh, enriching yourself, your family, your friends at the expense of the country and even at the expense of its national interest are now everyday occurrences and has brought us horrific government, a high level of racism and nativism and anti-Semitism. But what's particularly troubling to me is his enablers, that I could not name you a single Republican in the House or Senate who has really drawn a line. Uh, a Republican Senate that has done no oversight of the corruption and maladministration that's taken place. Um, we just recently saw a judge confirmed to the Court of Appeals who, among many things, as the general counsel at the Department of Education, drew up a plan to defy a judge's ruling to provide more corruption for private universities, bilking students, and then forcing them to repay student loans, despite the fact that it was a criminal scheme. A judge who held Betsy DeVos as a consequence uh, in contempt and ordered uh, her to pay a sizable sum of money. This guy who drew up the plan just confirmed that meant Republican senators almost to a person had to go along. I mean, the fact that they're now defending the indefensible in these hearings and that nobody's raising an objection except for Mitt Romney, who hasn't voted against anything that's significant, right. is, is what's particularly unusual and striking. But that's a question a lot of people have. Looking at the Republicans in Congress, it is a it is its own branch of government. It has under the Constitution its own powers. It seems to have totally abandoned its uh, Republicans in Congress, at least, their independence as an independent branch of government to make policy or to dif disagree with the executive when they can. Why does Trump have this stranglehold, basically, on Republican Sure. Republicans, particularly, again, in the Senate, but also in the House. So let me take it back first. Um, the, the book that we did that preceded It's Even Worse Than It Looks was The Broken Branch, How Congress is Failing America and How to Get It Back on Track, 2006. In that book, we hit both parties for failing us. But there was a particular focus on Denny Hastert, then the Speaker of the House, who had succeeded Gingrich mm -hmm. in that position. Right. And what Hastert did was to act not as an independent branch and speaker of the entire House, but as a loyal lieutenant to uh, President Bush at the moment. So there's a precedent for this. And of yeah. course, we had what was called the Hastert rule. It wasn't exactly a rule, but this notion that we're going to do it all with our own party and that unless we can get something that will get our own partisans along, we aren't going to reach out to anybody on the other side. 
uh, but all of it was in uh, concert with doing what the president wanted. That was unusual in every respect. Now bring it forward, and it's much worse. And what I would say... In Mitch McConnell and Kevin McCarthy. Mitch McConnell, Kevin McCarthy, but every Republican. You had some dissenters back then. Uh, you had some Republicans who were furious with Hastert. Um, there were underhanded things done. Uh, the, the rank and file were left out of the loop entirely. The difference, I think, and it's partly an evolution, it's not a party anymore. It's not a traditional political party. It is a cult. Again, that preceded Trump. Um, one of the examples I use often, I was engaged fairly significantly in the uh, campaign finance reform uh, effort that uh, culminated in uh, the uh, campaign bipartisan campaign reform act known as McCain-Feingold. Mm -hmm. um, the part I played a, a role in was in what became known as the Snow-Jeffords Amendment. And it was something where Olympia Snow, then in the Senate, a Republican, called me up because campaign finance reform, which she wanted, was foundering. And she said, we need to find a way where we can do something to curb the impact of corporations, but also on our side of unions that doesn't destroy unions. So we, I gave her ideas. We wrote a provision. It became a part of the law. It was the main target of Citizens United. And when Citizens United came out as a decision, I had lunch with Olympia and she was furious. This was an enormous accomplishment for her, probably the single biggest thing uh, in her Senate career. Uh, and that they would do this, you know, undoing this act and doing it in a fashion after uh, Chief Justice Roberts in his confirmation hearings had said, we're going to decide cases narrowly. We're going to uh, follow stare decisis. And then uh, took a case that was uh, brought in a narrow basis and blew it up. Um, all of that. So fast forward, Barack Obama's president, and we get this Disclosure Act called the Disclose Act, passes the House by a wide margin, comes to the Senate. At that point, the Senate had 59 Democrats and 41 Republicans. Every Democrat supports the Disclose Act. It wouldn't undo Citizens United, but it would take the dark money and, and provide some sunshine. Uh, remember, Mitch McConnell, back when he fought against campaign finance reform, said, I want to see no limits, but we need disclosure, right? What happens to the Disclose Act? It dies because Republicans filibuster it. All 41. Could not even get one. Could Republican. not get Olympia Snow or John McCain, or any of the Republicans who had voted for campaign reform and voted for these provisions. And that was the beginning, I think, of a cult. And what do I mean when I say it's a cult? We get all this talk, well, Republicans are going along because they're afraid of a primary challenge. True in many cases. Republicans are going along because even if they retire, they're going to want to be lobbyists, they want clients. True in some cases. Not true in, for example, the case of uh, Lamar Alexander. Now, somebody who's had a long and distinguished career, over 80, uh, served as a governor of Tennessee, uh, secretary of education in the cabinet, a longtime senator. Uh, he's not going to run for anything else. He's retiring. He's not going to become a lobbyist, but he's 
fearful of being shunned, of being viewed as an apostate. So, chairman of the Health Education, Labor, and Pensions Committee, where are the oversight hearings on the student loan debacles and corruption, on the private school corruption? Where are the hearings on the Department of Health and Human Services bringing in these private prison operations to run the uh, uh, asylum seekers' uh, camps, including the child separation? Nothing. It's the fear of going back and having your entire social group treat you as an apostate. That was true for uh, his longtime colleague, Bob Corker, in the Senate. It's true, I think, for most of the others. And if you are in a cult, you swallow hard and accept or you deny the misbehavior of your cult leaders uh, and your colleagues. And so they're going along. And I think, you know, we know from what some say privately, what many Democrats say, their colleagues say privately, that so many of them, especially in the Senate, are appalled by Trump, think he's a buffoon, think he's a danger, but they're not going to step up publicly. And in the House, you have more true-believing cult members who really think that he is dear leader. We have seen Republican and Democratic Senate leaders. I, I'm thinking of Bob Dole. I'm thinking of George Mitchell, Tom Daschle, Trent Lott, uh, who operated the way you described yes. earlier. It wasn't that long ago no. that they could sit down and say, here's the problem, how are we going to fix it and so, come together? So where do you put Mitch McConnell in that camp? You know, uh, the context here is I am one of the least favorite people of Mitch McConnell. <laughs> he has denounced me on the Senate floor. Uh, you can see video of him at an AEI uh, meeting on campaign reform, actually, where he uh, denounced me uh, in pretty stark terms. Um, and there's no love lost between us. And in the book, it's even worse than it looks, especially um, we go through a reality, uh, I believe, which is that nobody's destroyed the norms of the Senate or undermined the fundamentals of the political process more than Mitch McConnell. And that's true on judicial nominations. It's true more generally in the Senate. It's true misusing the intent of the rules, including the filibuster rule in ways that we'd never seen before, to block Barack Obama's agenda just because it was Barack Obama's agenda and then worked overtime to delegitimize and undermine the laws that did get passed, Mitch McConnell is going to go down in history in a very bad way. One of the principal takeaways, my take from your book, and certainly one of the principal points you make, is that the media, speaking about Congress now, they tend to say, well, you know, yeah, this side obstructs, but both sides do, both sides do, both sides yes. do. That's one thing you in this book come out and clearly it is not you can't lay the blame on both sides uh so when we wrote this book and we used the term asymmetric polarization um a little uh wonky perhaps but uh when the book was about to be published we did an excerpt in the washington post outlook section and the editor of the section at the time carlos lozada uh gave it a title Let's just say it, the Republicans are the problem. And that really went viral. It, you know, moved the book on uh, to the New York Times bestseller list for some time. Um, but it, of course, created a firestorm. 
And uh, we have a money quote in there uh, about the Republican Party as an insurgent outlier, dismissive and contemptuous of facts, history and the uh, existing order and so on. Uh, and a lot of my Republican friends and I had plenty of them in Congress were furious. Uh, this was not the message they wanted. A lot of my friends in journalism were unhappy and uneasy because they had no interest in, uh, in taking that message, whatever the reality of it. Journalism is inculcated uh, with a set of norms to start with. And uh, one of them, of course, is your job is to report both sides of the story. Uh, I had an argument back and forth with one of the veteran reporters at the Washington Post who emailed me that. And I said, your job is to report the truth. And sometimes there are two sides of a story. Sometimes there are 12 sides of a story. But sometimes it's very clear where the weight of reality exists. And if a failure to do that, and I had another quote that was used a lot, a balanced treatment of an unbalanced phenomenon is not uh, accuracy. Um, but we continue to see it. And it's not just the norm of we report both sides. It's the fear and I think, you know, let's face it, a large part of the mainstream media, the reporters and editors over time were more liberal than the society as a whole. And that had an impact in some cases on how they framed issues, uh, abortion being one. Mm -hmm. um, it certainly had an impact on the editorial pages. Uh, but the, the idea of being attacked for liberal bias is so painful and makes journalists so fearful that they will bend over triply backwards to avoid it. And those on the right are extraordinarily skillful at making that guilt come out in bigger ways. So I see uh, contortions to try and turn it into both sides. And that was true through the 2016 campaign. It was true through the, a lot of the reporting on Trump. It's true when you look at CNN, for example, which continues to hire these horrible people who they pay lots of money to and then ultimately have to let go, uh, who are Trump apologists because they want to inoculate themselves by bringing on uh, Trump apologists. They bring on people who lie openly and then bring them back again. It's true when you see now people like Hugh Hewitt, who's become a Trump apologist as a regular on Meet the Press. And, uh, you know, to me, when I see, as we did just a week or so ago, uh, a panel that consists of three journalists who are trying to be objective and balanced and Hugh Hewitt, uh, that to me is abandoning what uh, uh, journalists, including commentators uh, or talk shows like uh, the Sunday ones, are supposed to do. And so despite the fact that we laid this out here with a whole lot of evidence and that now at least Trump has gone so far that uh, Chuck Todd is speaking out against uh, outrageous behavior, that we see more of it in blunt terms including in 
tweets that reporters mm -hmm. are doing, um, calling out that you have on CNN people like Jake Tapper, who um, are pretty blunt, that even you have good reporters like Chris Wallace on Fox, that you even have, as we just saw, Brett Baer, um, as he watched Donald Trump live tweeting, sliming uh, Ambassador Yovanovitch, saying, uh, criticizing him and saying, this is another article of impeachment in the making. Uh, it, it's still there and it's not going away. And that's a, it's a pernicious danger to the Republic. What I find so astonishing about it is it's going to destroy the free press if they don't uh, move back to fighting for news and facts, whatever path they lead you down. And telling the truth. We're, we're yeah. visiting with Norm Ornstein, senior fellow at the American Enterprise Institute. Uh, is this your most recent book? No. Uh, the paperback is... Uh, no. And then right. in 2016, Tom Mann and I joined with E.J. Dion. And we did a book which I titled uh, One Nation After Trump, A Guide for the Perplexed, the Disillusioned, the Desperate, and the Not Yet Deported. All right. There it is. With that little plug, we will take our plug to take a break for a Makes plug. a great holiday gift. <laughs> we'll take a break for a little plug of our own here on uh, the Bill Press Pod. Again, good to have you with us. And now a very special word about a very special person and her very special artwork. Of course, I'm talking about my wife, Carol, and her spectacular hand-woven scarves. After all, we're seeing record cold temperatures across the country, and the holidays are coming up. Two good reasons why you might need a new warm scarf. And you won't find any more beautiful scarves than a Carol Press scarf. Each one is hand-woven. Each one is a work of art. They're made of rayon chenille or bamboo. They come in many different colors and patterns, and they're the perfect holiday gift for yourself or for someone you love. To make your selection, go to my website, BillPressPods.com, and click on the link to Carol Press Scarves. Again, my website, BillPressPods.com, and click on Carol Press Scarves. You can host the best backyard barbecue. When you find a professional on Angie to make your backyard the best around. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Inside to outside, repairs to renovations. Get started on the Angie app or visit Angie.com today. You can do this when you Angie that. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. 
Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. And we're back with uh, Norm Ornstein here at the American Enterprise Institute. So, um, Norm, you are, I follow you on Twitter. You are um, one of the most, not as active as Donald Trump on Twitter, but you're, you're out there uh, often. I want to ask you about a couple of people you've tweeted about lately. Um, let's start with Attorney General Bill Barr. One thing I would say is if you uh, set out a category of worst fill-in-the-blank cabinet member ever, and it's usually worst period, secretary of period, ever period, you'd go down through the entire list of the Trump cabinet, <laughs> and the vast majority of them would be on that list. Uh, and it's been a contest as to who's more corrupt or dangerous. But I think the winner of that contest now clearly is Bill Barr. You called him a traitor. I think he's a traitor to American norms, to American values, and to America's national interest. And he has, uh, if you go through uh, distorting the Mueller report uh, repeatedly, uh, refusing to move to prosecute lots of people who should be prosecuted, uh, this disaster in the making here, uh, let's pick one example, okay? We know that uh, Trump had phone calls, not just with Zelensky, but with Putin and other dictators that were so damaging to him that they were put illegally into this deep freeze. lockbox. This lockbox, lock <laughs> as it were. And we know that almost certainly Reince Priebus, who was chief of staff uh, back in that time, Rob Porter, who was a major deputy during that time, uh, perhaps General McMaster, very likely Stephen Miller and others knew about it. If we had an honest Justice Department, they would have brought in Reince Priebus and said, uh, this is obstruction. Uh, if you knew about this, you could be subject to five to 10 years in a federal penitentiary. Or you could tell us what you knew and we'll find a better way out. Of course, nothing there. And it's been nothing but cover-ups. We know that he has informed the president before the Mueller report was issued, what was in it. We know that he just met with the president to tell him about the inspector general's report, which is way out of bounds. And now we know that he's traveled around the world trying to force other governments to impugn the Mueller report and the Mueller investigation and the FBI and the intelligence community with this bizarre conspiracy theory that Russia didn't try to influence the course of the 2016 election, but Ukraine did. Uh, you could go on and on and on. 
but I've never seen uh, John Mitchell looks like Mother Teresa in comparison to Bill Barr. One of the uh, principal people in the impeachment hearings that you tweeted about, uh, Congressman Jim Jordan. So there are a lot of reasons to be, uh, shall we say, uneasy about Jim Jordan, some of which do not relate to his service in Congress. We know that he was a member of the wrestling coaching team at Ohio State University, where it is apparent that we have a scandal of sexual abuse greater than that at Penn State, mm -hmm. with a doctor involving uh, almost 200 individuals at Ohio State over a long period of time. A lot of people turned a blind eye to it. Jordan has said he knew nothing about it, although he was very close to this particular person. But we also know that a number of those wrestlers, uh, most of whom, by the way, are Republicans, said that they told him and that he wouldn't do anything about it. And most recently, a referee said that this individual masturbated in front of him in the shower and that he went to Jim Jordan, who dismissed it. So Jim Jordan is perhaps the Joe Paterno now of the Congress. Uh, and it's hard to forgive or dismiss that because every time he refused to say anything, allegedly refused to say anything, more people were abused and had their lives destroyed as a consequence. So put that out there, but also just look at the way he's behaved during the course of his time in Congress and during his now move from the Judiciary Committee, he's still there, but temporarily onto the Intelligence uh, Committee. And it's embarrassing, frankly. Uh, but, you know, basically at this point, it's not just impugning the character of almost everybody who's uh, giving their facts about uh, behavior of the president. Uh, it's basically saying, as the other members have, attempted bribery, what's the big deal? It wasn't carried out. It's like saying, well, yeah, he shot with the intent to kill, but he only wounded uh, the individual. He's still alive. Uh, you could just let it go. And I just find it reprehensible. And that gets us into the question uh, of impeachment, which I wanted to end on. So from what we know, from what you know, what you've seen, we've had two days of testimony now and a couple of months of um, stories written about it. Do you believe that Donald Trump committed an impeachable offense? I would uh, say that if we took the list of impeachable offenses that Donald Trump has committed and stacked them up, you'd be moving closer to the top of the Washington Monument. Um, there are so many. There is obstruction of justice over and over and over again, including in the hearings involving uh, Ambassador Yovanovitch, but long before that. There is a set of violations of the two emoluments clauses that are open and blatant over and over again. And here too, it is important to remember that the reason the framers put a foreign emoluments clause into the Constitution, which doesn't involve just the president, it's any executive official, is a belief that if individuals in position of influence in the American executive branch uh, acted out of their own economic interest, 
that would distort foreign policy away from America's national interest. Donald Trump has property in Turkey, for example, gives uh, Erdogan a free hand to uh, do ethnic cleansing of the Kurds. Uh, Donald Trump uh, brings into the Oval Office the Prime Minister of Japan and tries to strong arm him into giving permission for a golf course or for, a, excuse me, for a casino uh, to one of Trump's major donors uh, from Nevada. Uh, Donald Trump talks about his foreign interests in different countries. Donald Trump does a ban on uh, travel into the country that pinpoints only Arab countries where he does not have business interests, but not, not those where he does, even though there are many that are more suspicious. Then you have the domestic emoluments clause, including trying to get the uh, G7 to meet at a failing resort of his at high prices. And you have the fact that he insists that the Secret Service, tasked with protecting him, when he goes down to play golf at Mar-a-Lago or up at Bedminster, rent golf carts at the going rate, which is simply going right into his pocket from taxpayer money. You've got all of those things, and you've got the enhancing Russia's own interests. You've got the fact that he now clearly tried to extort and bribe President Zelensky in Ukraine to gain advantage over his 2020 opponent, but along the way gave advantage to Russia. There's so many things here that are impeachable. And I would add, we were talking about the press earlier. There's one area where I have enormous sympathy for the press. There are so many scandals every single day that you can't cover them the way we used to cover scandals. If there's a scandal, most Americans are not going to pay attention to this stuff the way that you and I would pay attention to it. They have lives to lead. It's when you hit on something day after day and it penetrates the public consciousness into realizing this is not normal, this is not appropriate. I'll give you an example. We have these hearings going on right now. We learned during the week of these hearings that Stephen Miller, the president's yeah. top advisor on uh, yeah. immigration, mm -hmm. had uh, exchanged hundreds of emails with a Breitbart news reporter that show a deep affinity for white nationalism and fascism in effect. It's barely a story. He is still in that office. We know that the president is manipulating the Department of Homeland Security so that uh, Ken Cuccinelli, who could not be confirmed by the Senate because of his own horrific behavior and attitudes, will then be able to be put up in as the number two in an acting way and will do even more nativist terrible policies. Not even a story. There are stories that barely penetrate the public consciousness because there are so many scandals and so many impeachable offenses. So the fear that I hear, I have myself, and I hear from a lot of people I want to ask you about is that we've seen this reprehensible behavior or at least outrageous or yeah. uh, unfit behavior on the part of the president of the United States. And yet the American people after three years have been so numb that they just sort of accept this as the new normal. 
Do you yeah. do you feel that? Do you fear that? And how do we get away from that? I certainly fear it as the new normal. And I get asked all the time, uh, well, if they're not going to convict in the Senate, should we be going through this exercise? And my answer to that is, if you do not move to impeach Trump, and now some people are saying, well, maybe censure him, yeah. which is uh, would be blown apart as just a, you know, a nothing kind of thing. It's like saying, shame on you uh, and waving your finger. If you don't impeach him, what you're saying implicitly is, these are not impeachable offenses. And that means they become normalized. The late Daniel Patrick Moynihan, one of my mentors and friends, had this article and this frame of defining deviancy down, that once a norm disappears, you get a new normal. And the new normal is lower. And we cannot allow that to happen. The statement of impeaching him, even though, and it ought to have overwhelming support, and it's probably going to have just uh, partisan support. But that statement that we've drawn the line here, this is wrong, needs to be made. And it's possible that more information will emerge and maybe the Senate will handle it in a different way. What we know about Mitch McConnell, the term I've used for him for so long is ruthless pragmatist. He will do anything he can get away with if it serves his interest. But he is pragmatic enough to act in ways that do serve his interest. If he believes that the Senate majority and maybe even his own seat are in jeopardy, then you're going to see a different approach to Donald Trump. Not likely, but I think you have to go through this. And I applaud Nancy Pelosi for the incredibly adroit and adept way she's handled this and putting this in the hands of Adam Schiff, who is the best that they could have to offer. We don't know where it'll go. And one last thing just for uh, listeners to keep in mind. We know about those phone calls that were put into the lockbox. Those were done with uh, the uh, official telephone uh, and other uh, officials present. There are very, very likely tons of phone calls that Trump has made using his unsecured old cell phone to Vladimir Putin and to the crown prince in Saudi Arabia, uh, to perhaps Zelensky, uh, to uh, Kim, uh, to other dictators, uh, Erdogan, Duterte, that are almost certainly in the possession, the tapes, of every foreign uh, intelligence agency in the world. They would be uh, guilty of malpractice if they weren't listening in probably also in the possession of our intelligence uh, units, not because they were taping the president, but because they've been taping these other leaders. So is it beyond imagining that one of those tapes will be leaked at some point along the way? You know, I've had people say to me, well, you know, our adversaries aren't going to do that because they want to keep him as president. I said, yeah, but what about our friends? Uh, if I were Angela Merkel, or the German government, or if I were the Canadian government, or if I were the Mexican government, or pick any of a number mm -hmm. of others, the Europeans who've been dissed and uh, had uh, tariffs put up against them, who've seen the alliances destroyed, uh, I might uh, find a way without fingerprints to get one of those tapes uh, out there. And that might be even more incriminating. Stuff could emerge from this before we're done that might change the whole picture here. 
So at the risk of taking any more of your time, I'm going to just circle back to where we started with the system being broken, particularly Congress. I always like to end, if possible, on an upbeat note. Uh, is there any way to fix it? You talk in, in this yeah. book about a couple of ideas without going into great detail. That, yeah, there that, are structural changes that we could make that are not going to uh, be panaceas. Our problem is as much a cultural one as it is a structural one, but you start with the structural changes uh, that are necessary. And I'm working, among other things, with the American Academy of Arts and Sciences, uh, which is a remarkable collection of people to see if we can get some of those ideas out. And mm -hmm. I'm chairman of the Campaign Legal Center, and we're working on campaign reform, redistricting, voting rights, uh, and the like. I'm working with an organization I helped found called Why Tuesday. I'm trying to change Election Day with the Drum Major Institute, which is Martin Luther King III and Andrew Young. Uh, to try and make it easier for people to vote. And all of those things would be helpful. Um, but it's also important to emphasize, not quite as upbeat a note, the problems preceded Trump and they're going to be there after Trump. The deep divisions we have, the uh, fact that we have only one functioning political party, that's not going to change for some time. The way the Republican Party comes back potentially to some sense of responsibility and sanity, they have to lose in 2020 as they lost in 2018, and then again in 2022. You need three consecutive losses for a party to say, oh my God, we've got to find a different way of doing things. From your lips to God's ears, as they say, Norman Ornstein, great to spend some time with you. Thank you. The same, Bill. And thanks for all the good work you're doing. The same. And that's it for this episode of the Bill Press Pod with Norm Bornstein. Good to have you with us. I hope you've already become a subscriber to the Bill Press Pod, but if not, please do so now. Just go to Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or TuneIn, search the Bill Press Pod, and click on subscribe. It's easy and it's free. And to really put a big smile on our face, if you like what you heard, give us a great big fat five-star rating. Now, if you don't want to miss the next episode of the Bill Press Pod, you won't if you follow me on Twitter, at Bill Press Pod, at Bill Press Pod. That way you'll be notified every time a new podcast is coming out. Meanwhile, thanks again for listening, and stay strong until we see you next time on the Bill Press Pod.